Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. As always, please like, subscribe, share, and leave us a review if you would. In this episode, we further our discussion on Gnosticism and tie in some other traditions and their ideas on suffering, reality, and what to do about it all. We also begin to look at what is known in Tantra as divine pride and divine appearance. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist, we are probably wrapping up our series on Gnosticism. We wanted to have a long conversation on this after our interview with Miguel Connor from Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. And I think we've done a really good job of kind of taking it apart, trying to find the things that are interesting and hopefully useful spiritually, psychologically for people. Uh, last time we hit up with this idea of talking about whether the world is bad, <laughs> which really had like two levels of thinking about it. One level was a societal level, which is society bad which Nazism, you know, alludes to and talks about for sure. And Daniel and I have our feelings about this. Uh, if I were to say it in a sentence, I would say society probably is bad. And it's good that you decide for yourself which parts you disagree with. Everyone might decide their own parts they disagree with and where you disagree, where, in, where uh, you can uh, uh, go your own way and do your own thing and don't pay attention to it. It's a very Taoist uh, kind of a thing. It's a very tantric Buddhist thing. You might not always be able to do it. You know, sometimes you have to, as Gnostic Jesus might say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Sometimes you got to pay Caesar off, but other situations where you don't have to pay Caesar off, you decide for yourself where you want to follow your own, your own bliss and your own ways of seeing the world. I think I'd summarize it like that, mm. which is like kind of the theme of the podcast, right? I'd say so. But that's going to come back again. <laughs> and I would anyways. say... It reminds me of a song by the late, great Charles Bradley, who has a couple albums with the Menahan Street Band. And uh, he had one of his songs, uh, it's called like, The World is Going Up in Flames. Uh, and I feel like that's, you know, the world is going up in flames and don't nobody want to take the blame. I, I quite uh, find yeah, that, that to, yeah, you know. That's that's timely for sure too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that th things happen and it's nobody's, you know, it's no one's fault. Everybody else has put, you know, we just pushed a buck somewhere else things you know i don't we don't remember this or you know like it's just the abdication of responsibility ultimately makes people feel free but then when it comes time to take uh the blame at for whatever it is nobody has the the chutzpah if you if i could say that eric yeah no one has the internal moral compass too right mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think Bob Thurman talks about that, right? That's one of the things he says, if you're really a materialistic person to the roots, if you follow it all the way down, who gives a shit, you know? And, uh, you know, there's no real reason to feel responsible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
the, the, the who's responsible thing is an interesting question then because <laughs> it does get us to our Gnostic thing and Gnosticism it's a little bit unique and it says oh yeah somebody's responsible it's this demiurge and these archons as we talked about in previous episodes these forces of power that are trying to screw people up so you know there's like they're actually if that's a little unique you know in Gnostic thought uh and to me, I thought that was the next big subject matter, because that means that like things are intrinsically bad, not just because of like weird accidental karmic reasons. My feeling in Buddhism, you tell me what you think too, Daniel, obviously, but my feeling in Buddhism is that a lot of this stuff, which they talk about dukkha, suffering, sometimes translated that way, sometimes just as like unsatisfactoriness of life, you know, the problematic aspect of life is just kind of like shit happens, more of a thing, you know, uh, and uh, it's not exclusively to be traced back to some malefic set of actors. Mm. There's little parts of Buddhism that are like this. Sometimes, like in some what the one practice that I do that's kind of close to my heart, they kind of have a weird thing where they blame it on uh, this uh, mythic Indian god figure, Ishvara. And Ishvara is the problem. <laughs> and they do talk about that. So they do mention like negative sort of spiritual forces and spiritual actors almost and there's you know part of buddhist thought one of the really interesting mandalas is the one where uh you know buddha is supposed to in the stories i don't think people practicing it now think this way but in some of the old stories they actually say buddha sort of like steals the mandala from ishvara comes in and like takes it over and kind of like uh you know pulls it out of ishvara's evil clutches <laughs> and reformulates it in a positive way so you do get a little buddhism like that i'm not going to say that never shows up and ishvara is interesting because it's kind of a god that demands a lot of sacrifices of animals and you know it's sort of like the idea like we're not going to be under the thrall of these divinities anymore whether you take that literally or it's a psychological thing you know you're not going to be under the thrall of like divinities that demand sacrifices and violence and these things mm. um so, yeah, it could be Gnostic from that point of view. But for the most part, my sense in Buddhism is that it's more like there's an old Brazilian soap opera that I just happen to know about called Even the Rich Are Crying, mm. <laughs> which is basically about the idea that no matter who you are in this whole samsara project, things aren't going to work for you. It's not like there's anyone on the top who's like constantly pushing down on the people on the bottom. If you are on the top, probably you're unsatisfied and suffering, and that's the reason why you act out in the bad ways that you do. Mm -hmm. so buddhism seems to have more of that question you know uh and it's obviously a serious question you know but the buddhist answer seems to be more like not so much like you have a, a localized source of negativity like a, a demiurge like they have you know a, a, a bad divinity at the helm like you might have in uh narcissism it's more the idea that ah, things are kind of like a little bit karmically rando just effed up and it just turns out bad just because of these overlapping factors. That's sort of the way Buddhism seems to talk about it. And you got a feeling about those two things at all? I, yeah, I mean, I also think just in terms of like some of the, the Buddhist thought, we're also, there's, there's uh, epochs or time, parts of time, you know, that are, yeah, yeah. that are more or less, I, I don't know if we can call them ideal, but they're more difficult as time moves forward. The, the, the times that are we are living in are more difficult than the previous times you know it's almost like a buddhist law of entropy or something right yeah, yeah that's, things that's, start to go down the crapper just kind of falling apart yeah things mm -hmm. start to go down the crapper now you know as a as a modern person i can look and say well you know we're currently at the time of recording you know 
bearing witness to, you know, an invasion of a sovereign country, you know, and we're not going to do a whole big thing on it, but the uproar, you know, across the world is pretty big, right? And as much as we shit on social media, rightfully so, there has been, you know, some, some positives that have come out of it in terms of the ability to share information and things like that from, from that perspective. So, you know, I, I think that it's better from that perspective, but on the other hand, because there's more people and the, there's a lot more power to be had by those who have it, it's, uh, you know, more people are subjugated and therefore the suffering is, is exponentially greater based on numbers, but warfare is a little bit different than it was you know, a long time ago, I had this conversation with people on a regular basis, you know, warfare, not that long ago, was mainly hand to hand combat. Yeah, if you really think about the brutality of that, the brutality right? was immense, you know, and torture was highly, highly accepted, like the, it was done in a public square. Yeah, like that's, that was normal, you know, oh, you cut his, of course, he, you know, that, that you know, that that man raped that woman, well, we have to kill her, obviously, she's naughty. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll question him and see what happened. You know, like now, <laughs> now fortunately in most, aye, aye, aye. right. Yeah. Fortunately in most places, that's unthinkable. It's unthinkable, you know, at least for us. So I can see there are, there has been some, some positive movement towards that. But like I said, there's a lot more people and because there's a lot more people, there's a lot more suffering in general over many different types of people. Yeah. I, I'm gonna say like, you know, we've been doing these episodes, we have these thoughtful conversations about these subjects, we choose our subjects and we kind of take them apart. Um, but you've been very consistent about this like over these episodes to my ears. What I kind of hear is like, you don't wanna come down too hard on either side of that question because there's kind of evidence on both sides of this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so to go through and say that we're living in the Kali Yuga, which would be the sort of the, Indian term, you know, laid to the goddess Kali, who's the destroying force, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's like, yeah, you know, there's aspects of that. We have an environmental crisis that's pretty bad. We have like mass economic inequality. We still have a lot of violence of various types, war and otherwise, you know, and yet there's other ways in which you'd have to honestly answer that there are things that have improved. It'd be weird not to say that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you're being, I think, intellectually honest, you know, and you've been really consistent about it. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess that's part of the, the podcast thing too. And like to talk about these spiritual ideas, honest, don't just say, oh yeah, some Indian text said we're in the Kali Yuga and therefore it means this. Okay. I mean, that's for the purpose of our show. That's an interesting thing to talk about and to take seriously. Well, Doesn't the, you have to believe every single thing that every book says about every single deal. <laughs> right? Well, and our show is definitely yeah. a prove it show, right? I mean, yeah. the whole, mm -hmm. the, what we're bringing, I, I was talking with, uh, a cousin of mine earlier today and he was asking me what I'm doing today and I was like I'm podcasting and he's like oh about what and so I told him you know and he's like well if you're not trying to talk about food music uh politics or uh you know murder mysteries you're you're probably not trying to be that popular um he's like did you ever think about doing any of those topics so that you might gain some notoriety or something and my immediate answer was no because for me there's enough of that already in the world and there is not enough of viewing the world through various perspectives as opposed to trying and, you know, taking our gaze down towards other things that, while important and entertaining, um, don't really have as much value for me as these kind of thought experiments that hopefully people have been enjoying for the last two years. I don't want to like... Uh 
crap on Russell Grant brand because <laughs> ultimately we want to like uh, have him on our podcast once we get the once we get the street cred. <laughs> but like it's gotten more and more like he's just doing whatever political shit comes along, right? right because that's it's yeah, like, that's what it's a, that's what people are into. Yeah, yeah. So okay, it is what it is. You and I would probably just given our quirky psychologies, I would feel like bad about myself every day doing that. <laughs> That would yeah. a day that would go by where I wouldn't look in the mirror with shame, even yeah. if like uh, it meant that there was more Patreon going on or something. I would not Correct. feel good about myself. I would feel bad about myself. No, and I and we're you know different we're, strokes for different folks, but we're I regularly trying to provide you know educational information through conscious conversation. Yeah. So you like the conscious conversation? Yeah. So um. Onward. Okay, so I think there's a problem with suffering, like identified in Gnosticism, identified in Buddhism. There's a problem. Gnosticism's tracing it back in a very specific way to like to bad actors, you know, like it, that really is a thing. And I, historically, I can get the feeling for that too, because if you were writing during Rome or something like that, you'd be like, this is fucked up and these people are crazy and we're all under their dominion. I could understand that. I can understand how you would feel that way. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You know, they're all Caligula and uh, Tiberius and, you know, all these people are out of their minds and, you know, we're all stuck with them and, you know, they seem crazy. So you could see where this kind of thing would come from. Okay. Buddhism seems to be saying something different, just to be honest about it, right? So there's something unique about this and you can feel about this how you want, right? I think what we had Miguel on, I think the fact that this was traced back in this way, I think really spoke to him. Mm -hmm. So I think for people who like Nazism, this really resonates with them and they're not wrong. No, you know, but, um, you know, what's the situation in a more Buddhist point of view, you'd say, yeah, there's negative forces happening. There's negative things happening, obviously, but it's not, it's not exactly in this Gnostic way. Okay. So that's mm -hmm. the, that's the puzzlement. So the weird, weird question comes, if we get to like, part of what we'd like to do here is like, well, what do you do about this? It seems like on the Gnostic side, and I think Miguel would agree with this. Uh, once Gnosticism points this out, it's not obvious what you do with this afterwards. Mm. There's kind of an epiphany of realizing this, kind of like Keanu in The Matrix, who realizes, whoa, wait a minute, you know, I'm stuck in this thing. That's an important realization. I think that is the Gnostic epiphany. So, okay, cool. We can all have an epiphany like that. That's an important realization. Uh, but where does it go after that? And I think it's fair to say, you know, and again, it's hard to say exactly what Gnostics were doing because they got trounced and obliterated and like wiped mm -hmm. off the planet. Um, but uh, it's not obvious what their practices are. I think you can say that once you have this realization, are you supposed to just bang, have it all of a sudden, and then you're just like, you and Gnostic Jesus are flying off into the Gnostic heavens? I don't know. It's not so mm -hmm. obvious, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's on and bite, they've had, they had this conversation, which I respect, you know? So, uh, you know, uh, Miguel Connor has had on, Robert Price, who's someone I want to have on this podcast too. I'm going to reach out to him. He's kind of a religious scholar and they've had this honest conversation. Like it's not entirely obvious what you do after that. And we talked with Miguel a little bit about his book and his book was a kind of an eclectic collection of meditations. I got it. I haven't fully gone through it yet. You know, even though it's only 27 pages. I got it as an audiobook. It's, it's an hour and a half, but I haven't gotten to it. <laughs> <laughs> but I promise I will, Miguel, because okay. I want to know what you have to say but i did buy it so i already i already like wet his i wet his beak so you can't give me like that part i did and i bought it for someone else i gave it as a gift so i i, I twice i've supported miguel 
<laughs> Plus, I actually give some money to his podcast. So, um, uh, uh, so but it's kind of like eclectic. It's he's drawing stuff from other places. I think it's, it's mm-hmm. not obvious what you do with that totally from a Gnostic point of view. Like, and he and Robert Price talked about this. It's like once you have this epiphany, is like, well, is that it? And obviously, maybe that's not it. You know, once you realize that it hasn't solved everything, you still have to go through and have further things you do to continue to develop yourself. And it's Mm -hmm. not totally obvious, at least in the narcissism that comes down to us now, like what you're supposed to do. So to me, that like opened up a conversation of what are you supposed to do with this in Buddhist Tantra, which is one of our touch points in this whole thing. What do you do about the fact that, you know, there's this world that is difficult trying? I mean, that's a big part of the podcast all the time, too, obviously. So we're trying to present things. Uh, practical spiritually practical and um this leads to how they try to handle this within buddhist tantra so i mean, imagine what we'll end up doing daniel is just have a whole another set of episodes on this and probably we'll each end up doing our little shot of spirit episodes which are going to start to be going up i got my first recorded mm-hmm. um where we'll talk about this issue but it really is this idea that you're supposed to reformulate the world around you uh, as this world of divine pride and divine appearance. So this is sort of the tantric technique. So if Gnosticism seems to have a place where it's not obvious what the meditative approach would be in Buddhist Tantra, they got something, which is supposed to be this idea of divine pride and divine appearance. Now, officials speaking, in the Buddhist Tantric world, you're supposed to have initiation into a practice. You're supposed to go through a ritualistic initiation to do this on the officials. But probably if you saw everybody around you as Tara, or if you started projecting everyone around you as um, <clears throat> Avagalateshvara, that would probably be good too. So, and, and even and, if you don't have an official initiation. So we got to talk to the whole practice again, what the hell this would mean, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so a couple couple things. One, just, you know, so we can kind of take this piece by piece, okay? So you mentioned in order to be able, well, traditionally, the way in which one would practice yeah. is one would be given an initiation, which is a ritual of passing on of the teachings and practices of a particular lineage or practice, whatever. Mm-hmm. You, you're given permission to. The, yeah. the interesting thing. And probably psychoenergetically, spiritually prepared through the ritual. Yes. There's yes. probably something that actually happens. Because if you've gone through these rituals, sometimes they're kind of intense. They walk away feeling like, ooh, something happened here. This wasn't just me just sitting around with a bunch of Tibetan people and we just chanted some stuff and whatever. It's not like that. Correct. The other Uh other interesting part is that like a ritual is the somatic, is the somatic action of that particular practice, right? And so we can say in our mind, okay, my teacher, you know, Lama Glenn says, okay, Daniel, now it's time for you to practice this, you know, X practice and I'm going to tell you it's okay. And I'm going to teach you how to do it. So, you know, go forth and be merry. But the act of lighting the candle and saying the things at the right time and imagining that you're drinking this, you know, special nectar that it does something physical, actually. It, it kind of transcends yeah. Yeah. like the, the, the prefrontal cortex and lands in your body. It lands deeper in the brain and into your tissues. And so it becomes something more than just a thought experiment, actually. It becomes something that you can physically take with you. And since we store so much, our, bo- our brain is our body. Our body is our brain. And this, you know, sort of the mind is it's enmeshed in it. Like we've talked about the last few episodes really is being enmeshed, like spirits being enmeshed in, in matter. That, There's an entwinement going on. Yeah, right? that, mm-hmm. that the ritual specifically targets the matter. 
you know, in addition to the psycho-emotional, the, the sort of energetic part, it, 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 it is targeting the matter in a way that like, that maybe the practices are, are not as much. And it gives people a sense of like belonging, you know, it's like a rite of passage, you know, which we don't have in this culture at all. So actually, as, as we've been doing this podcast, and as, as I've been paying attention more recently, studying the shamanic stuff from my classes, the ritual aspect of things are sorely missed in our culture sorely sorely yeah, and there's a real argument around like yeah there's a certain sense of like that the possibility of uh transformation the possibility of community that these things create they're not there so it leaves people kind of hanging mm -hmm. right like you don't mm -hmm. have something that's really come along to substitute for that yeah once the sort of like more typical religions are less popular now nothing's filled that space right correct yeah and, feel, and that we yeah. don't have a cult and that the culture is is sort of homogenized to not leave anything really left, you know, from anybody's individual where they came from, per se, that would might have some uh, practices that are outside of religion that are cultural practices, you know. Yeah, or, or you hold you held on to the things that were cultural in a yes. way that's still meaningful or something yeah. like that. Yeah. All right. So, OK, a lot of stuff going on in this. I'll kind of give a couple of my reactions to this. First of all, I threw out these two phrases, divine pride and appearance. We'll probably do a whole episode on it. But just because it's so connected to this, one of the tantric meditative techniques is that when you're doing your personal meditation, you're sitting on your meditation cushion, you're doing your thing, you actually imagine yourself as some kind of Buddhist divinity. You transform yourself into this. Or any, div sense. any divinity, really, if you're depending but on your practice. We're talking about the Buddhist one for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no doubt you could pretend that you're, you could transform yourself into something else if you're, you know, that's no problem. But, you know, the, they talk about this in a more obvious way within Buddhist yes. tantra. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most people don't say you're literally going to become Jesus or like St. Francis or something. But in Buddhism, they say, yeah, you're going to become Tara in your mind. You're going to become Tara, you know, and how you start to change your way of experiencing yourself and your world. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about you know, why you would do that, but that's the technique, right? So you're really trying to do something using a kind of an active imagination. It's mm -hmm. an interesting meditation. It's different than a lot of the other ones. You're purposely trying to do an active imagination to challenge your experience of the world. And it also means that you can go through and you can change the other living things in your environment, whether it's a person or whether it's a raccoon or whether it's like, you know, uh, uh, we're in Chicago, a rat you see in the alley, they can be Tara too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so everybody can be Tara, right? And so you're living in a world now of Taras uh, in, your, in, you know, in your mind, right? You're kind of bringing that. And the, the general observation in Buddhism is that once you start doing that, you subjectively feel differently about your world it will start to feel less painful. It'll start to feel less hostile. It'll start to feel differently. You haven't totally changed the world. I mean, the Dalai Lama would say that too, but you're doing an active thing that changes your subjective experience of how you interact with that world and how you feel in that world and what that world means. That's the, that's the part of the Buddhist, what they call generation stage practice, that you do this thing. And it's partially like we were talking about, it's partially what you do when you're, meditating by yourself, you know, you visualize yourself as this uh, figure, right? Uh, whoever floats your boat, there are different kinds of figures. Some are really powerful. Some are kind of saucy. Some are kind of very uh, nurturing. Some are very nurturing and maternal. Some might be like more male figures that are like that. Some embody wisdom. There's a whole panoply of characters that you might relate to that you might feel like, oh, that's when I can connect to, 
you know, and different people will probably connect to different ones. Yeah, it's like right? uh, you're, it's like uh, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, it's it. Those are archetypes. <laughs> These are archetypes too. Some people like Captain America. Some people more like uh, Deadpool. Some people like right? Groot. Some people like Groot. My son has a T-shirt with Groot on it. He really likes Groot. Yeah. yeah. So there's like all kinds of characters they might relate to. You like tricksters? Maybe you like Deadpool. You like serious people who have good hearts? Maybe you like Captain America. Or you know? Loki. Loki's a fantastic trickster. Roxy's also a great trickster. Yeah. So you might you'll, you'll choose your you'll, you choose your figure. But the thing is that you know you partially meditate this in your own time. You know, and there's more to it. We can talk about this in more detail in some other episode and we should, but that's the basic gist of it, yeah. you know, and um, it's really trying to challenge your sense of self. It's trying to challenge your experience in the world, even if the world doesn't totally change. So even when we had Bob Thurman on, what was his thing? His subtitle, his alternative title was, uh, what C was it? CTFU. CTFU, cheer the fuck up. <laughs> well, how are you supposed to do that? Mm -hmm. Well, part of how you're supposed to do that in Buddhist Tantra, even if it is a Gnostic world and everything is under the Demiurge, you still have to go through and like cheer the fuck up for yourself because you'll be coming from a better space. So yeah. this is the Gnostic, this is the, this is the Tantric answer no matter what. And then sometimes you hear this phrase, the world then is experienced as like Tantric theater. Uh, you know, Lama Glenn likes Lama, to use that yeah, one a lot. Yeah, Lama yeah Tantric theater, because it changes your relationship to the world. You yeah. know, you feel it more... And they, they say this in the Buddhist tantras, experience your world as if it's a playful theater of things. It's not, it's not entirely, but you know, when you experience it that way, it's easier for you to move in an effective way through the world and even help other people better, you know? So this is the whole thing. And I, and again, it's the thing that you're not just doing by yourself, then it's what you're also trying to see when you're out in the world. So that meditation continues out into your daily life and when you're interacting with somebody at work or something you're partially seeing them as themselves but you're also seeing them as kind of an emanation of this mm -hmm. tara who whoever it is that you're into and you'll probably feel differently about them and i to be honest i found this to be really helpful this actually did help me because i noticed when i was doing my zen i didn't know how to connect that i mean there's ways to connect it but i probably couldn't do it as easy so I would be meditating. I'd be like, I feel awesome. Then I go out into the world and I have to be with people who would cause me all kinds of difficulties or be mad at things in the world. And I was like, I don't know how to connect this totally, you know, and it became a thing of connecting and this is it. So when you're with your partner and they're irritating you <laughs> and you see them instead is not the person who's irritating you, but is like an emanation and an aspect of whatever the thing is you're into, then for that moment, you feel better about them. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're not so snappy with them, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's true, actually, you know, or maybe you're there and you're like, well, I'm with my relatives. I find all these people really boring and I'm suffering from boredom, but I can sit here and I can meditate and pretend that they're all Manjushri. And then it doesn't seem so boring anymore. <laughs> anymore. And I'm not irritated with them or whatever it is that bothers you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is kind of the idea. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the solution from a tantric point of view. And that's true. Like whether it's suffering in the Buddhist sense, it's just a clusterfuck. Nobody particularly to blame, you know, or whether it's a Gnostic point of view, I think the solution would probably end up being the same. And this is the technique. I was a little bit, Oh yeah. Sorry, Daniel, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, and so that, that's kind of, that's one, that's one part. And then I think that's sort of from the inside out, you know, and then mm -hmm. as, as the, you know, one of the, uh, various you know the, the interesting part about all this is that like you'll get some idea right like in the buddhist tradition you'll have like 
Buddha Dharma Sangha, right? So the, the, the Shen, the individual spirit, the, the teachings, and then the community. And yeah. so, you know, you can also interact with your community in a compassionate kind of a way. So as you're envisioning yourself as, you know, whatever, whatever divine being you find inspirational to you and you see them all around you. So there's hundreds of thousands of, you know, Jesus's or Mohammed's or, you know, Sophia's or whomever, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you can, you don't just have to like, okay, that's cool. And you go off and do your thing and you, you know, you find one and you steal one's wallet and you're like, but it's cool. It's Sophia. She'll forgive me. I'm Sophia. Too. Like it's, you know, <laughs> that's not the underlying message. Yeah, no, that's not it. <laughs> you know, but that like Jesus you, doesn't really need this car, does yeah, he? And you're nah. like, you're slim jimming the lot or something. Yeah, yeah that's nah. not supposed to be the thing. <laughs> right. That's it. You know, after you rob the bank, you're like, oh, you I'm just, Gnostic Jesus. I could float through this wall. They'll never get me. But he can walk on the water. He doesn't really need this boat. I'll just sail it away. And, you know, yeah, it's not like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think then. So then the other part is then to try and be and try and actually be inspired by the being that you are embodying you know, the, by the body that, and emulate that being like, yeah, that you know, goes under the idea of divine pride. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. like, you know, it was, it was popular for a while. Those, those uh, little rubber bands on people's wrists, they were real popular. I mean, they had everything, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, but one of the, I think one of the first popular ones was WWJD, you know, what would Jesus oh, yeah. do? Of course, for me, I had my own, what would Julian do? That was, you know, Daniel's uh, alter ego, right? That <laughs> to, had to find his way through the social environments who invented this character. <laughs> that's correct. That's correct. But, you know, in this case, it's it's what would Manjushri do? What would Tara do? What would, yeah. you know, Lakshmi do? What would, you know, and, and what would they do? Well, I mean, they would do many different things, but the one thing they would all be doing is helping others, being compassionate, you know, being fiercely compassionate, like passionately. Yeah, yeah insanely compassionate you know so we all have limitations and on our time and on our finances and on our energy but with the what you have available to you you can certainly improve your community you know or at least one person you know around you send somebody a, a message or give somebody a call or go volunteer or give somebody some money or some things that you no longer need i mean there's just there's practical ways of course again the capricorn you know looking at the practical ways of doing this yeah, so yeah, yeah. you could do it as yourself or you can do it with a sense of divine pride that you're giving back and that is is essentially giving to yourself because you and the other person that you are giving to are from the same energy i guess it like it's 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 supposed to help you find that space within yourself mm -hmm. so like i have like um like in the tibetan tantric calendar twice a month you do these what they call self-initiations if you've done the retreats and all that so i do it you now twice a month one and then the other are the ones that are important. They're kind of interconnected practices anyways. And um, in the, the text that you do again, it's kind of re-ritualizing. They basically make that point. And on the one hand, you're going to work for the benefit of other people. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I'm going to approach the life as something I can enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're overcoming on the one hand, kind of like personal depression, personal anxiety, right? you know, by seeing yourself more as this figure that's acting in the world in this, you know, divine way. And then it also, it checks your ego too, in the sense yeah. that, that means you're not going to go trouncing over everybody just to enjoy your world. <laughs> that's not right either. You're going to try to enjoy your world in a way that's also respected, respectful and bene benefiting the other living things around you. And then mm -hmm. you got some serious Buddhism going on, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Cause it's, you know, it's like both of those things are going and it like specifically says that at times. I'm going to approach the world with the fearlessness of a lion, enjoying the world as tantric theater, 
you know, participating in the world in an enjoyable and joyful way, while at the same time working for the benefit of other living things. Yes. Who, you know, we all have our issues who have their issues. Of right? course, of course. Yeah. So I was a little bit, okay, I'll, I'll like, uh, uh, let's see what you think of these other few things I had on this deal. Um, I was, I, when I first learned this thing, I was a little bit bothered of like, what's the basis for this? And the Dalai Lama kind of says something like, well, it's a meditative technique. It's not like when you imagine everybody as Tara, they all of a sudden become Tara. That's not right. Right. <laughs> you can imagine like Jeff Bezos is Tara to your heart's content. He'll probably still act like Jeff Bezos, mm. which will probably still be economically ruthless, you know? Um, um, but, you know, it changes your experience of that person and your way of interacting, you know? So, okay, so that's one side of it. It's a meditative technique, but I was still kind of bothered. And what occurred to me is like, it's a way of kind of like tapping into the idea that inside people do still have a Buddha nature, which will be a question that we're going to deal in our next part of this episode. <laughs> it's coming. There's one other Gnostic thing to say about Buddha nature that we'll get to. So you, you, you feel like that there's some intrinsic part that's potentially enlightened. And it's also, it always struck me that it has something to do about how we perceive the world around us. We don't perceive the world around us as like a sea of bliss. We experience the world around us in this very solid, particular way that we experience it as uh, individual living things. But when you do the tantric move, you also, it changes the way you experience almost like the substrate of the world around you what's the nature of the things around you you know we look at them as like oh there's a cup and there's a you know like a, a tape dispenser this is just shit that's you know near the place where i'm recording it's a couple of pairs of scissors sitting in a thing you know we see it that way but if we were to see it differently we would see oh no that's blissful energy reverberating through space or something so it's supposed to i think remind you of that level of reality too you know that you're tapping into this thing not as the, this is the illusory quality we we're talking about last episode. There's a certain illusory quality. Things look like the way they look like on the relative mundane perspective, but they also have a hidden qualities that you don't see, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's in the shamanic way you were talking about, the manifestations of energy that are connected in all kinds of ways that can appear to your mind in interesting symbolic ways. You know, you can have visions and see things differently, or maybe they're like, um, like just pure energy. And if you could see it as pure energy, it would change your way you feel about everything. So you know, there's another, there's that side to this too. And I think that bugged me as a student learning this, you know, in the beginning, like, what's the, what am I supposed to be seeing somehow? When first, when someone first told me I have to like pretend I'm a Buddhist deity, I was like, what? <laughs> How? Why? You know, and it has different levels of meaning, you know? Uh, and once you kind of get used to that, you're like, yeah, Sometimes it's a reference to the idea of like how I meditatively change my own subjective experience of my world. Sometimes it's an idea like I'm tapping into that part of the person that is secretly Tara, even though they might be kind of a dick right now or acting like a dick towards me, a Buddha nature idea. And sometimes it's like, no, I'm really going to try to challenge like the way I see the physical world around me. Maybe it really is a sea of formless bliss. I just don't see it that way because I see all the more mundane things. So sometimes they say divine pride and appearance, and then sometimes they'll flip it and they'll talk about it like overcome mundane, uh, uh, mundane ideas about yourself and mundane appearances. Don't look at things in a mundane way. So they kind of sometimes phrase that both of those ways. You want to get rid of the mundane sense of yourself and replace it with a divine pride 
you are a special being with special potentials and special possibilities. And then you want to change your mundane appearances and see them as more fantastical. Initially, you're doing it with your imagination, but you start to have this feeling like, oh, maybe I really am in a sea of bliss. And I just don't see it that way. And then I, if I see if I'm in the sea of bliss, then it's easier for me to cheer the fuck up, as uh, Bobby T would say. Mm-hmm. Something like that, you know, even though on the superficial level, it looked like might look like an outer world of like kind of badness in the Gnostic sense. Secretly, it has this other dimension to it that I can tap into. Does that make sense to you? And does that speak to you? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the idea of a theater, right? Things moving, things being a play and understanding the the sort of playful nature of the outward appearance, but then understanding that things are more than they just appear. I had this conversation with a friend of mine just yesterday. He's a very intelligent dude. He's a tenured professor. Um, and, you know, he's just going through a, a, a tough time as many people are, you know, he's, you know, he's got a great job, you know, good relationship, you know, you know what, what everybody would ask for health insurance, home, hobbies, all this other kind of thing, but he's, but he's miserable, you know, mm-hmm. with all of the yeah. uh, various external stresses, not just on the job, you know, but the, all the other things that, you know, society is, well, parts of society are moving and changing into that people have to be trained and aware of, even if you don't agree with it or you agree with it, but you don't want to be stuff to be forced down your throat or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, it adds a lot. Of, it adds layers and layers of stress in a very stressful time as it is already. And he's like, you know, I realize I have it, you know, from the outside, I have it good. You know, I have a good job. I have all these other things. He's like, but reminding myself of these things doesn't take away this shitty feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the mm-hmm. shitty feeling isn't going anywhere. It's only getting worse and it's affecting my sleep and my energy and my mood and all of the things, you know, it's, a, it's, it's radiating throughout all of it. And, and I was like, well, you know, the thing is that like stuff is not as it, as it, as it appears to be. He's like, well, what do you mean? And I didn't get into what you said. I, I went kind of backwards to forwards. And I said, well, you know, I said, currently right now I'm sitting at my desk and I'm looking at my computer and I'm talking on this thing, but like, I didn't make any of the things that I have here in front of me, actually. Somebody had to use their energy to put those things together. It had to be packaged up and shipped on trucks or planes or freight trains or whatever, then put into a store or online that I had to then purchase, order, build together, put them here. But like I, we're carrying around so much other people's energy with us all the time that it's impossible for me to feel truly like I'm isolated in any kind of way. And so it's a reminder then to put my energy back into the idea that like I'm part of a, cy- a communal cycle that's constantly like receiving and exchanging you know, energy in a way. And for me, if I'm going to be in a constant loop of, of receiving and exchanging, then if I am in the best state that I can be possibly as this exchange occurs, I'm going to hopefully give back better than what I received. And this idea for me keeps the forward momentum of positivity happening in and around me. Am I perfect with this? No, but I'm very pleased the fact that I can even have that idea and, and try and carry it. Yeah. There's like a, it's almost like part of a whole matrix of the meditations they do in Buddhism, right? To like mm-hmm. develop like love and appreciation, compassion towards other people. You realize, wow, people, I can be mad at people, but like I have to recognize every day, just my basic survival is because other people did a lot of shit that I'm like benefiting from. Yes. <laughs> Tons of them, right? You know, someone like, 
I didn't grow this food. Nope. <laughs> right. I didn't ship it to myself. I didn't know? make and my clothes. I, I didn't you know. make my clothes. I didn't build my house. You know, Nothing. we have a leak in the apartment. I didn't build this place. I didn't fix the leak. <laughs> you know? What good am I? <laughs> really? What am I doing? Actually, I'm kind of a freeloader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of like, uh, yeah. I'm floating yeah. on the crust. Yeah, I'm like a, I'm like a problem, really. No, so it's like one of these, you know, we we all we all had to tell the people too. So, um, but uh, yeah, other people can say the same about us. We did a bunch of shit for them. So yeah, they do that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a kind of a meditation, like interconnectivity too, right? Yeah, yeah, interconnectivity on a on a on an earthy level, on a pragmatic level. That's really yeah. true, right? Uh, okay. So, you know, you have different ways of thinking about this. Imagine people listening, you'd be like, okay, I can vibe with that one. I can vibe with this one. You know, there's different ways of framing this question, but the technique is kind of like this. And then how you connect into that, people will probably vibe with different parts of that. Mm -hmm. All right. So, you know, it seemed important because Gnosticism points out this huge problem. And the question is, you know, what's a, what's a kind of a spiritual solution to that? And like, at least there is something in the Tantras. Thanks for listening to today's episode titled Levels of Reality our furthering of our discussion on Gnosticism. As always, please feel free to send us an email at jinnandtantra at gmail.com. Hit us up on the gram at jinnandtantra. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Together. I want you to get together.